Good morning. Great to be with you today. We're going to uh, we're going to take a little time this week and probably the next two weeks on some of these verses in the last chapter of James. For the last few months, if you're just joining us today, we've been in the book of James, and it's been quite an adventure. And probably the overarching theme of the book of James, or at least one of them, is um, what does a living faith look like? So there's lots of people that say they believe in Christ, lots of people who claim to be Christian, but what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to have faith in Jesus Christ? So we're going to slow down some of these passages, and I'm, we're going to talk about something that um, can be somewhat controversial. We're going to talk about healing, divine healing, uh, not, not healing generally, just the kind of healing that might come naturally or just through biological functions and whatnot, just the, the way that God's created our bodies, but, but divine healing, a supernatural kind of healing. Um, like I said, unfortunately, this is a controversial subject and somewhat challenging. It's controversial at a theological level because of the mystery surrounding supernatural activity. Certainly there's texts that people bring in to, to try to understand what is God's purpose in our present age regarding divine healing um, oftentimes, however, controversy, controversy arises at a more emotional level. Um, we all have unanswered questions that perplex us, don't we? We all do. Um, we have all probably prayed for people who have not been healed. We have prayed for people who have not only have they not been healed or are not currently healed, but even those who have died Many others have suffered their own sickness for some time and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've sought the Lord and at least yet have not been healed. And so this is something that that we can struggle with. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. These verses say that there are certainly things that are mysterious to us. There are are secret things that we don't understand, for sure, without a doubt. David said in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too great for me. It's so high, I cannot attain it. So there's, there's mystery. There's a lot of mystery. But the things that are revealed are things there for us to believe and obey. So the things that are revealed, the things that we can know, the things that we ought to know, the things that we should know, we should know in order to believe what God's Word says and obey what it says. So we must never let our inability to understand mysteries surrounding healing keep us from what seems to be clear teaching in the Scriptures. Furthermore, the Christian worldview has always affirmed the goodness of physical, the physical creation, right? When God created all things, right, from day one to day six, after each day he said it's good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then after he made Adam and Eve, he said it is very good. So God loves the physical creation. There's goodness in the physical creation, including our bodies. Maybe, I'd, maybe I would even say especially in the human body and the health of our bodies. We are not Gnostics, 
right? Gnostics believed that, that uh, the spirit was, was good and the material was evil. We are not Gnostics and neither is God. James 5, 13 to 16 then is our text today. And when I read this passage, I don't know about you, but when Jim read this to us, if you heard, or if you've read this passage before, or even if you want to peruse it right now as I'm speaking, when I read this, it gives me the impression that we should see people healed when we pray. I'm not saying everyone, okay? But we should see people healed through our prayers. And that we should have an expectation that people would be healed through our prayers. Without ambiguity, right? I mean, James just, he's a straight shooter. He just says it like it is. The whole book of James, you never wonder what he's saying. It's just very clear. And here's what he says in this passage. Is anyone suffering? Generally suffering? Like just adversity, trials, difficulty, all kinds of suffering. Anyone there? Okay, let him pray. Is anyone sick? Okay, let him call for the elders and let them pray over him so that the Lord would raise him up. And let's pray for one another so that people may be healed. That's what it says. He talks about suffering, sickness, prayer, and then at the end he says that you may be healed. I think it's interesting. He doesn't say that you may be comforted in your sickness, although certainly prayer does that. But James here is saying that you may be healed. So my desire is that we would be a people of faith when when it comes to God's ability and willingness to heal. That this would be an increased expectation among us and that there would be a growing company of people excited to pray for others to be healed. Filled with the Spirit and excited to pray for others, expectant that God would show up. Healing is um, not ultimately up to us. Clearly, healing is not ultimately up to us, right? It's up to God. Nevertheless, the book of James is a treatise on acting on what we believe. Living faith. A faith that is alive. Saying we believe something and then acting on it. Hearing and doing. Faith and works. So, healing is up to God, but prayer is up to us. So we want to be obedient and full of faith in our prayers. James, if you remember from way back when we started the book, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Right? Jesus was born of Mary, the virgin birth. James was the son of Joseph and Mary, so he was Jesus' half-brother. If you remember in the book of John, James and Jesus' other half-brothers did not believe in him for a long time. But no doubt, James, even though he didn't believe in Christ, witnessed the healing ministry of Jesus, witnessed the healing ministry of his disciples. And James, since he was part of the early church, was also part of the healing ministry of the early church. I can even imagine James talking to his brother, Jesus, about his healing ministry. We know in James, or John chapter 7, 
Jesus, or James and his other brothers are kind of um, trying to test Jesus to tell him to go to the feast in order to show off his power. So I wonder if he talked to Jesus about his healing miracles. No doubt, as James is writing this, a lot of his input, a lot of his understanding of healing and of prayer for healing came from his own brother. No doubt he was influenced by the ministry of Jesus Christ, his half-brother. Therefore, I just want to take a little bit of time to unpack what does the Bible say about our healing God? Is it clear? Or is this some isolated passage? Or is James gathering what other places in Scripture talk about and the ministry of Jesus? And I think he does. So let's look at a few things. Let's think about this just for a bit. We need to start with the fact that God has revealed himself from very early in the Bible as a healing God. Right after, God, right after Moses had led the people out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea, God is speaking to his people through Moses. And in Exodus fifteen twenty six, God declares himself, he gives himself a name. The name is Jehovah Rapha or Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Now, anytime God gives us a name, it's like a road map for us to learn about the nature and character of God. I've said this before, but de Groot in Dutch means, you ready for this? The great. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to require anyone or even ask anyone to call me that, Josh the Great. But, so somewhere back in my lineage, there was, maybe in the Netherlands or somewhere else, some man, part of my family, who was a great man in a town or a village. And so they called him Ivan de Groot, okay, in Dutch or whatever. I don't know if his first name was Ivan. But it tells you something, not necessarily about me, but about my family line. But when God gives us a name about himself, it is telling us about his nature and his character. So God says, I, the Lord your God, am your healer. God identifies himself with a name, revealing his true nature to us. And it's the God who heals In Psalm 103, David commands his soul. We sang sang it today. David commands his soul to bless the Lord. Right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. You guys remember singing that song? That's it. He's commanding his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he commands his soul to bless God for all of his benefits. And he says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who takes away all of your sins, and who heals all of your diseases. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a very interesting psalm. It's, it's one of the people, the, just chronicling the, the people of Israel, they fall into sin and unbelief and calamity and difficulty. And then they cry out to God in their distress and he comes and saves them over and over and over again. Here's what verses 19 to 21 says. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. 
and delivered them from their destruction. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Has God ever touched you? I mean, just in in somewhat of a, it felt miraculous and healed you. I mean, even just something small. I mean, a headache that just, you prayed and it was gone. Wow. What's the most reasonable response? To give thanks? To praise God? To give him thanks for steadfast love? For his wondrous works? God's name is the Lord your healer. Moving on, clearly Jesus demonstrated the heart of God when he healed. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, the radiance of God's glory, he is the outshining of the glory of God. As Jesus walked the earth, people were seeing the radiance of God's glory in the flesh. And as Jesus went around doing good and healing all of those oppressed by the devil, he was showing us what God is like. When we see Christ in the scriptures, we see God. We should never lose sight of that fact. What is God like, we wonder? We open up to the book of John, to the book of Luke. We open up to Revelation when we see Jesus and we see what God is like, clearly. And therefore, we don't have to wonder what God's attitude is is toward healing. We look at Jesus and he shows us. As you read through the Gospels, it is breathtaking. I mean, read through the book of Mark. I mean, just the first few chapters, the word immediately is used over and over again. Immediately, Jesus went here and did this. Immediately, immediately, over and over again. And it's breathtaking the extent of his ministry that has to do with healing. It is really breathtaking. but there was also a motivation behind it. One of the great motivations of Jesus was intense compassion for those who suffered. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke often say that Jesus was, and he uses this phrase, something like this, moved with compassion. Or depending, maybe you have a translation that says moved with pity. He, he had deep compassion for people who suffered, and it led him not to give them, be careful here, because there's lots of things we can say to people who are suffering good things, but it moved him to heal them over and over again. Just to give you a sampling, Matthew 14, verse 14 says, when Jesus went to shore, he saw a great crowd, a lot of people, And he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, there was a leper that came to Jesus. Now, lepers in those days, they had their own colonies outside the city, like keep those people out there, away from us, healthy people, right? We don't want to get their cooties or whatever, so they're out there. This man came to Jesus. He probably heard of Christ, of Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And 
it says in verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and said, I am willing, be clean. I mean, the the deep heart of compassion Christ has for those who suffer ought to move us. We want to become like him, right? Uh, the, the Old te- probably more tradition, the Old Testament law, and then, and then probably perversions that were taken up because of Old Testament law, said that if you were to touch a leper, you would become unclean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper, moved with compassion. Luke chapter 7, verse 13 uh, gives us another picture. And there, this is a woman who lost her only son. She was a widow. She lost her son. There's this funeral procession. I, 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 would, I would love to have been there to see what this would have been like. There's this funeral procession. There's weeping. There's mourning. There's the music that is in keeping with a funeral. I mean, it was, it was a sad event. And this woman had lost her only son. She was a widow, so she did not have a husband. And it says, when, Jesus, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. I think the NIV says, I didn't look this up, but one translation says, his heart went out to her. He was moved with compassion and mercy. He felt compassion for her, it says, and said to her, do not weep. Then listen, Jesus stopped the funeral procession, said, all right, stop all this. And he raised the young man up and gave, her, gave him to her mother. What a scene. Why? Compassion. Moved with compassion. God's heart is full of compassion. If you suffer here today, if it just generally you suffer, if it's not like, well, I don't have some life-threatening disease or some major sickness or ailment or anything like that, but you suffer generally. God's heart is full of compassion for you. And if you are here suffering greatly from some major disease, God's heart is full of compassion. Jesus expanded his healing ministry. We know this um, in and through his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, he calls the 12 to himself. Peter, John, James, and the others, calls the 12 to himself and he sends them out and he gives them an assignment. We see this in Matthew chapter 10, in Mark 2, I can't remember what chapter it is in Mark, but he gives them an assignment and it's basically to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Cast out demons, set people free. In Luke chapter 10, however, we see that Jesus goes beyond the 12 to 72. In fact, I think the ESV says 72 others. So the 12 and then an additional 72. And he sends them out to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. As we go on in the New Testament, the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out and more and more people are equipped and anointed by the Spirit to carry out the ministry that Jesus was doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that gifts are given. And one of the gifts is not a gift of healing, like one gift, you got it, you got gifts, you got the gift of healing for every disease, no matter what. 
No, but it's called gifts of healing. So different gifts given to different people to pray for different people that have different ailments. Gifts of healing given to many to continue God's merciful and compassionate ministry to suffering people. I would say this, God cares so much about physical health. Think about this. He cares so much about physical health. Now, it's not ultimate in this age, I get it. But he cares so much about physical health that he is committed to you having it forever. He is so committed to, physic, to our physical health that he's committed to us having perfect health forever and ever and ever. You see, eternity is not floating bodiless up in space somewhere, up in the clouds but we are going to have a bodily existence forever. And it's going to be one without any pain, without any suffering, without any sickness at all. Let's be clear about something, though, and this is just to take a step back, put things in perspective in this age. Healing in this age, healing at this time before Jesus comes back, is a foretaste of the future. It's not the full thing. And we know this, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Guess what happened to Lazarus at some point down the line? He died again, right? So healing in this present age, as precious as it is and how we want to contend for it, it is only a foretaste of the future. It is a beautiful foretaste, an amazing foretaste. But we know from Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 5, that we groan in this life. Right? We, we groan while we live in these bodies, in these physical bodies, in these tents, because we want to be clothed with a new body. That, as Revelation 21 says, is never going to die again, is never going to experience pain again, because at that time when Jesus comes, the old order of things will pass away. I find great comfort in the truth that about God that theologians call the immutability of God, that he doesn't change. God does not change. His heart has not changed. He has not changed in how he views sickness and suffering and those who suffer. And I find great comfort in this. Malachi 3.6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23 says, for God is not a man that he should lie, or he's not a, the son of man that he should change his mind. The writer of Hebrews rightly says of Christ, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I've kind of cheated here this morning. I've spent most of my time so far outside of James. But I want to I end our time this morning giving five brief observations from James 5, verses 13 to 16 to encourage us. Like, okay, how do, what do we do now? If this is who God is, if this is where James is coming from, what is he telling us to do in this passage? First, we need to know, you need to know that God is not aloof or indifferent toward you 
or toward others who, are pain, who have pain and who suffer and who are sick. You need to know that. You need to know from Christ as he looked at people and saw them. Right At one, one point, he's, he's about ready to feed a bunch of people and he says he looked at them like, and, the, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had great compassion on them. That God looks down upon us rich and full of mercy and compassion. And if you are full of pain, if your body's racked with pain or your emotions are out of whack or you are in the depth of depression and darkness, Jesus has great compassion for you. He is not indifferent. And we shouldn't be either. We shouldn't be. That's why James asked the question, is there anyone among you suffering? When there's any group this size or bigger or any any group more than like three people, is there ever someone there that's not suffering to some degree? Is there anyone among you suffering? The, the, The answer is yes. Let him pray. Is there anyone sick? These are questions for you and for me to answer. These are questions for us to answer. Are you suffering? Are you sick? God is not indifferent toward your pain. And he wants you to feel that. He wants you to know that. Second observation. When you are sick, and I think when when the question is asked, is anyone sick? I think what James has in mind is more of a debilitating sickness. When you are sick, you should call the elders of the church so they can come pray for you. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is anyone sick? Call for the elders. Why? Shouldn't everyone pray? Well, of course everyone should pray. So why does James single out the elders? I think one reason, probably the primary reason, is because elders are called to be shepherds among the church. Right? Don't you love the picture of Jesus as our great shepherd? Psalm 23 is clearly alluding to Christ. It's clearly pointing forward to Jesus as our great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me. He, he comforts me. He restores my soul. And then Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I am the great shepherd, or I am the shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus, before he left... He determined that his church would have shepherds under his shepherding role. Jesus, the chief shepherd, elder pastors called to shepherd the church. 1 Corinthians 5, excuse me, 1 Peter 5. Here's what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you. These are the elders. James is talking about, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The the word shepherd, which is a verb, is the same word that's translated the noun pastor in Ephesians chapter 4. So an elder pastor is called to shepherd. And so when people are sick, when there's a debilitating sickness, call the elders so we can shepherd you, so we can pastor you, so we can care 
for you. The shepherd to shepherd suggests to tend or to care for. I thought of this last night. I mean, this is one of the primary ways. This is not the primary way, but a an important way that Jesus continues to care for his people is through elder pastors. One thing I try to do most every week, sometimes more than once a week, and I suppose there's some weeks I don't get as specific, but I, I try to go through the families in our church and think of sicknesses, ailments, struggles, suffering I'm aware of. I pray for those things. Reed and I are eager to pray for you. We want to care for you. We want to care for your soul. And here, what James says, we also want to care for you in a way where we pray for your sickness. The text suggests that if elders are true shepherds, they, it almost sounds like a requirement. They are required to be willing and ready to pray for the sick. Here's what the, the New American Standard Bible puts it this way. Is, is anyone sick? He must call the elders and they are to pray for him. The Holman Standard Bible puts it even more strongly. It says, is anyone sick? He should call the elders, and they should pray for him. Much more emphatic, much more of an imperative, not kind of this, well, if you're sick, you know, maybe somewhere on the top 10, maybe call the elders. Say, no, call the elders, let them care for you. Let us care for you. Let us pray for you. Third observation, when we pray, the Holy Spirit is present. When we're praying for healing, the Holy Spirit is present. I get this from the use of anointing with oil. says, let the elders pray over the sick person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Some suggest that the oil here is for medicinal purpose. Um, Certainly oils had medicinal purposes and still do, but it cannot be purely for medicinal purposes. Um, I believe that the anointing with oil is a physical action with a symbolic significance. That we anoint with oil to draw people's attention, not to mainly to the person laying hands on them, but to the presence and power of the Spirit of God who is there and has the power to heal. Commentary I have by Dan Doriani, he says, it's a way of stimulating the faith of the person being prayed for to direct their attention to the God who has the supernatural power to heal. So the the anointing with oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit, I believe, and His power to heal. It is a way of directing someone's faith to the Spirit who is present when we pray. There's nothing magical about it. I have a little bottle of oil in my office. I sometimes put it in my bag and carry it with me. The point, though, is the presence, God's presence is there by His Spirit. We put our faith in God who is there and has the power to heal. Number four, observation number four. 
Faith is utterly key. Faith is totally key. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The word save there, don't be confused by that. I don't think it's talking about salvation like sins taken away. I think it's talking about restoring the person back to health. The, the prayer of faith will restore them back to health and the Lord will raise him up. Faith is totally key. The prayer of faith, it's the prayer of faith that makes the sick person well. This is the only place in the New Testament this phrase is found, the prayer of faith. But we know from places in the Gospels that Jesus often communicated that faith is key to people being healed. At one point, Jesus asked a blind man, do you believe I am able to do this? Do you believe I am able to heal you? There are several times when Jesus, after he heals someone, or actually I shouldn't say after, as he's healing them, he says, let it be done for you according to your faith. So faith is totally important. Faith in God's ability And we may not struggle with the ability of God. Can God do it? Although there is a guy who asked Jesus, if you can, didn't ask him, he said, if you can, you can make my son whole. And Jesus said, if I can? All things are possible to those who believe. So it's faith in God's ability, but it's also faith in God's willingness. And that might be what we struggle with more. We believe in an omnipotent God. Right, that holds the universe in his hands. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. <clears throat> but when we come to God in prayer, are we confident that he's, he has a disposition, he's inclined, his heart is inclined to heal? Well, again, we look to Christ. We look to Jesus. And we see a God who is willing. <clears throat> Fifth observation, <clears throat> each one should pray. Each person should pray. You guys see that in verse 16? Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another. So it's not just the elders that are called to pray. Certainly we are as shepherds, pastors, elders to pray. But it's something that each person, one another. When the New Testament talks about show hospitality to one another or love one another, is there anyone that says, is that talking to me? I don't think so something that all of us are to do. We're to pray for one another. We're to care for one another. We're to pray for one another, as James says, so that you may be healed. You know, talking about this this morning, I I feel a little uncomfortable talking about this, mainly because I I feel like it's not something I have a lot of success in, if you will. Uh, Certainly I've seen God has, has... had me pray for people who have gotten better, but it's something I want to grow in. It's something I want us as a church to grow in, to be a, to be a place to have a culture here where people are praying for one another. 
where people are lifting one another up, where people have faith to pray for healing, to pray for deliverance, to pray for freedom in the name of Jesus and to see people healed, to pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, the book of James is a book that um, it's, it's, it, want, it wants to draw us into this place of becoming practitioners. Whether it's practicing joy and suffering, right? Count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. Whether it's uh, becoming a practitioner in hearing and being obedient to the word. He wants to draw us into this place where we are practicing. We, we become practitioners or activists. We are acting on what we hear. And so we've heard today, God is a God who heals. There's mystery. We don't have all the answers. We, we don't. There are things that are hidden from us. We have unanswered questions. We have heartache. I do. We have heartache. We have people who have not been healed or who weren't healed and went home to be with the Lord. But we've heard today that God is a healing God. And that we're to pray for one another. That you, that we may be healed. That people may be healed. How do we become practitioners of that? Well, it's through hearing with faith and being obedient. And letting our unanswered questions not dictate. Listen, we all have experience, right? It's hard to not, I would dare say, because we haven't arrived at perfection yet, we all have experiences that somewhat inform our theology. But we want our lives to align more and more with God's word. We want our experiences to bow their knees to God's word over and over again. Uh, we, want, we want to live, we want to humble ourselves. Like, what does it say, James 1, 21? We want to receive with meekness the word of God implanted. We want to be humble underneath it. And so to become practitioners, as we say, okay, there are people around me, people I know who suffer. I suffer. Seek out prayer. There are people around me who suffer. God's put me in their lives. Maybe, maybe he would use me to pray for them and see them better. You know, this morning, <clears throat> I would like to, I'd like to do something. That's just a little different. We're, we have Alyssa come up and <clears throat> lead us or just play a little music. But I'd like to, sometimes we step out of our comfort zones and God doesn't need permission to do anything. I mean, who gave God permission when they were dead in their sins to give him life? No one did. So he doesn't need permission to do anything. And yet, oftentimes, it's our willingness, it's our faith, it's our step of faith, even when it's uncomfortable, <clears throat> that you know, God works in those settings and those environments. And so, I'm going to close in prayer. And then I want to ask, we're going to do something, okay? I'm going to ask, is there anyone suffering? Is there anyone sick? And I want to ask you to have the courage to stand up if you are. Okay? If anyone is sick, if anyone has, if anyone has pain and they're sick, 
then I want the body of Christ here today to look at who's standing. If you're visiting today, we don't normally do this, but we're going to try it today. I just felt inclined to do this. Um, I want the body of Christ to look and see who's standing. And maybe the Spirit would lead you and guide you to go to someone who's standing and pray for them. If you're like, I have no idea what to do, very simply, you ask, what can I pray for you for? Maybe you put your hand on their shoulder and you pray and say, God, I pray that your healing would go into this person. Very simply. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I wish you thank you that you are the Lord, our healer, that nothing is impossible for you. God, we don't want to elevate physical healing to a place it should not be elevated to. And yet we don't want to pack it away in some back closet as something that is totally unimportant because we see in the ministry of Jesus that it was and I believe still is important. So God, this morning as we close our time or as we just move into a time of ministry, I pray you give us faith, give people courage and faith to stand if they are sick. Maybe they're not even willing to or don't want to share with others what's wrong. That's okay. You know what's wrong. We can still pray in faith. You're a God who knows and sees and has the power to act. And God, give, give us faith as a church, not only for this morning to pray for those among us who are sick, who are suffering, but God, also to leave here today and be a company of people who are telling others about Jesus and who are bold and courageous to pray for those who need prayer. In Jesus' name.